This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming out to support this event. My name is Hong Ping Xu. I teach Chinese literature and film in the Department of East Asian Languages and Cultural Studies. And I'm very delighted to have this opportunity to moderate tonight's discussion with director Wu Hao, who made this wonderful film that we just watched, People's Republic of Desire. Welcome to UC Santa Barbara, Wu Hao. Thank you, thank you. And thanks for staying. So so with this film, you must have visited a lot of film um, events and visited a lot of campuses. And this noon, we just screened your newest film, All in My Family. And what do you think of our campus and our students? I guess I'm fishing for a compliment. <laughs> no, I, I, it's amazing because this film has been out for a while. So tonight, I'm truly surprised by the turnout. And I'm looking forward to a great discussion with all of you here. Great. So Wu Hao and I will have a discussion between us for about 30 minutes before I invite the audience to ask any questions that you have. I guess I'll start by um, a more personal questions. Um, I really admire the fact that you've had a very adventurous career you were trained first as a biologist, and then you worked for a tech company, got an MBA before you switching to documentary filmmaking. So I wonder if you could share with us um, your personal journey. Oh, wow. It's been a long journey. Um, so I grew up in China. And so in China, even nowadays, I guess, if you're good in school, your parents naturally push you into you know, STEM fields, right? And But then ever since I was little, I really loved reading and storytelling. So in high school, college, I did plays. Uh, I wrote plays and directed plays. So I always had the urge to tell stories, but I didn't know which, um, what exactly vehicle I, you know, was for me. So I moved to the U.S. Um, studying molecular biology, and uh, then I moved into business um, but still, on the side, I was writing screenplays and trying to do documentary for a while. And in 2011, when I was uh, um, still working for TripAdvisor in China, at that time I decided to take a break to, uh, to finish a film I shot uh, in my spare time. That was my last film, The Road to Fame. And uh, I thought I would give myself six months break to finish editing that film and going back and to high-tech industry. But the six months became a year, became a year and a half. By the end of the year and a half, I realized I really enjoyed the process. So instead of waiting to make to become a millionaire by working for a high-tech company and then do something I truly enjoy, I decided at that time to really just dive in and just do this. That's really um, impressive. So specifically about this film, People's Republic of Desire, how did you take on this project? Um, did you identify a social issue and you went on to find these subjects or characters for the film? So just tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So all my films, I'm trying to um, tell a different side of the China story because I feel like a lot of times uh, the, uh, the media exposure about what's happening in China, at least in this country, uh, sometimes still tend to dwell on the same old us versus them mm-hmm. um, dichotomy. I feel like China is a really complex society, and uh, I would like to tell the other side of what's happening in China uh, with a particular focus on youth culture, because I feel like youth is uh, 
it's the uh, it's basically where it's gonna guide where China's heading into. Uh, so my last film, The Road to Fame, is about co- um, co- um, kids and China's top acting yeah. academy. They did American musical Fame as their graduation showcase. So for my next film, when I was doing research, I really want to focus on um, the what's happening in China, its impact on. Uh, its youth population. I was particularly interested in f- looking for something like ultra wealthy kids mm. and the the wealth uh, inequality divides in China. So when I went back to China to do research, I, I actually researched like super race car, um, uh, super luxury race car um, club uh, in China. I also did like best in show kind of dog show mm-hmm. in China. But then somebody who was in finance asked me, since you're working high-tech industry for so long. Can you tell me a little bit about this company called YY? Back in 2014, YY was already listed on NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. It was worth $3 billion. But even for someone like me who had worked in China's tech industry for many years, I was not familiar with it. Then I asked around among friends in Beijing or Shanghai in the big cities. Very few of them was familiar with why YY was so profitable. So that mm-hmm. immediately intrigued me. And then I started doing a little research. So as soon as, find, as soon as I found out there are all these rich young kids and poor young kids all spending so much time and money on YY worshiping the same live streaming celebrities, I was immediately intrigued. I was like, this is a nice way to exact, examine what's mm-hmm. happening in China in real life by using a virtual community. Um, so that's how I decided to start diving into this project. That's great. Um, I think documentary filmmaking is such a complex enterprise that involves so many things, such as you know fundraising, shooting, of course, editing, and also distribution. But it also deeply anthropological in the sense that, um, just like an ethnographer, you in a way have to really establish certain relationships with your subjects. You know, get to know them, earn their trust before they feel comfortable um, in front of your camera. So I was just wondering, what was the process like um, when you try to establish relationship with, with your character, with your subjects? So I think, first of all, I was lucky because I had worked for many years in China's tech industry. Uh, so I asked around, so who knows this company, YY? So one of my ex-colleagues at Alibaba, mm-hmm. he worked with YY's founder, not the CEO featured in the film, but uh, um, the actual founder of YY. So my ex-colleague introduced me to this founder, and uh, I told him I wanted to do a documentary about uh, your platform. Um, and at that time, 2014, live streaming was just taking off in China. It didn't have that much media coverage. And then he was like, okay, you can just do it. He introduced me to the marketing department, and the marketing wow. department uh, in turn introduced me to many of the live streamers. Obviously, they tried to push me to follow live streamers that uh, the platform approved. Um, but then I just did, you know, I visited and filmed over a dozen live streamers and, and in the end decided to focus on Shenman and Big Lee. Mm-hmm. So your network connections enable you to find these um, people. And um, just out of curiosity, um, I mean, this film has been, came out a couple of years back. Are you still in touch with, with the online streamers, especially um, Shaman and um, Big Lee? Big Lee. Yeah. yeah, like are you in touch with them? How are they doing right now? So yeah, I'm being in touch with, with them. Um, so for some, both surprisingly, both of them, had thought, well, I finished filming back in 2016, 
and the film came out 2018. So back in 2016, both thought they didn't have that much time left on live streaming platform. That's part of the reason they are under tremendous pressure and anxiety to keep on making milk as much money from their live、right. streaming career as possible. But surprisingly, both both have staying power, even though their popularity definitely not as. Um, high as before, but now both are still making money. And Big Lee and Dabao, his wife, got、mm-hmm. back together.、Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, they have this conflict.、Uh, but then they got back together after having been separated for entire right. year. Right.、Uh, so、um, Dabao told me the story that、uh, just as she prepared all the divorce paper and gave it to <laughs> Big Lee to sign, and right before Big Lee was signing, he broke down and cried. So and then Dabao at that time just said,、like, "Okay, maybe I'll." Give him another chance. So that's how they got back together. So both are still doing doing well.、Um, live streaming is not as popular in China as before because of TikTok. I don't know、oh. whether you guys have heard of the show、yeah. video phenomenon TikTok started in China. So、um, live streaming、um, really took off in China 2016. And then became peaked in 2017 and、mm-hmm. 18. After that, kind of be overtaken by by TikTok.、Uh, still, though, in the the platform, YY is making more and more money.、Wow. Even though a lot of the users have migrated from live streaming to TikTok, but there's still a lot of rich people who want to throw a lot of money to attract attention. So the live streamers they haven't seen their income drop that much. That's fascinating. I think the film deals with a very timely issue that is our digital life,、um, and I think the film does a really good job in helping us understand the political economy of online streaming in China. And I was really fascinated by the entire infrastructure. So,、um, of course, we have big corporations like YY platforms and the agents that they sponsor, but also we have online streamers, we have ordinary patrons and fans, and all of that. So, can you help us unpack a little bit、um, how, what kind of business model they employ the online streaming business in China? Just help us unpack a little bit. I know the film does a little bit of that, but、yeah. just help us understand it better. So, as described in the film, the business model is basically monetize the、uh, relationships between fans and the internet celebrities. Um, which is not different from the internet culture here. It just monetizes differently.、Uh, here in the states, like YouTubers, Instagram celebrities, they attract a lot of fans, but they don't get money from their fans. They actually sell ad sponsorships. They make money from the brands, from products, right? So this kind of idol worshiping relationship looks more innocent in the U.S.、Uh, But in China, just because of live streaming, live streaming truly invented a new、uh, internet business model by monetizing the, the transaction by allowing the fans to tip their live streamers, their celebrities directly, and this had a profound effect on China's internet uh, uh, industry、uh, after YY. So. A lot of the I don't I'm not sure how familiar you you guys are with China's internet uh, uh, industry like more and more the so、mm-hmm. like dating app they make money off live streaming not off dating and many other apps are also、um, trying to use mon-、uh, live streaming to to monetize so basically you tra- you allow the ritual poor fans to directly tip to t-、uh, to tip the live streamers every live streamer. Has to have an agency. Needs to be managed by agency. The agency takes 
Uh, oh, sorry, I take a step back. So whatever money the fans spend on buying those digital gifts and give to the live streamer, mm-hmm. the platform takes a whopping 50% to 60% cut. Of the rest of the money, then 20% goes to the agency, and the rest goes to the live streamers. So in many ways, the agency bosses, they have the incentive to promote the live streamers they manage because if they spend some money buying them gifts or something to make them appear to be popular, then that will in turn attract other fans, other patrons to spend money on them. And the platform has a huge incentive to create all these games, all these competitions, and to encourage their fans and their patrons to buy the live streamers votes. Mm-hmm. So on YY, there's weekly competition, monthly competition, and then they have this annual competition. And since YY created this, invented this, all the other live streamers, they all have an annual competition where it's almost like an orgy to, come to see who has the most money and to show off by showing off wealth online. That's how they make money. Mm-hmm. So let's just cast um, kind of comparative lens. Uh, recently, there have been a couple of films about online streaming in America, um, such as Cam Girl, Draw Line, or American Meme, right? So yeah. can you help us like compare um, these different business models a little bit, China and then United States? Have you seen those films that just came out? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't know how many of you have watched the American Memes and Cam Girl. It's on Netflix. Jawline is a film that came out of Sundance uh, earlier this year. It's about live streamers in the U.S. Um, so, like I mentioned earlier, I, the way I see it, the only difference between what's happening here versus what's, what's happening in China is how the internet celebrities make money, mm-hmm. whether they take money directly from their fans or not. The rest of the ecosystem is pretty similar, especially in terms of why fans want to watch other people, want to follow other celebrities online. Because mm-hmm. like from people like me, I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm having a hard time um, hard time understanding why a particular internet celebrity becomes so famous because um, they, seem to, they don't seem to have a lot of quote-unquote traditional talent, but what they draw, what, what, their, what, what their appeal is, is actually being authentic, just like the live streamers mm-hmm. to their fans. The internet celebrities here have to be authentic. A lot of time, they also have to create a lot of controversy. Right. Uh, if you look at the YouTubers, sometimes they, they create fake breakup, dating games. They, they knock down uh, walls and create a fire in their apartment to attract eyeballs. And then in, in, in turn, their fans will think, oh, these people are not like the traditional um, yes. celebrities who have PR firm managing their images. They look very authentic. So in terms of this kind of uh, relationship between fans and their idols, I think these across culture is very, very similar. The only difference, like I said, is how the relationship is being monetized. Right. So although this film is set in China, I think the experience is a, quite global. Um, and this pushes to think about how technology really um, changes or reshapes the way we relate to each other, how we perform our identities, and how we um, narrate our stories. And the film is very provocatively titled um, People's Republic of Desire, 
you know, um, in contrast with People's Republic of China. So I wonder um, the psychology behind this industry and what are the forms of desire that emerge in this digital era or these forms of desire not entirely new, but they are just old forms of desire taking up, you know, uh, new uh, shapes. So I just wonder if you can help us understand what do you mean by desire, which is in the title, what are the forms of desire that the film tries to tease out and what is the nature of that? Yeah, it's quite complicated. That's why I decided to use the word desire rather than any other title because it uh, depends on the, your role in this ecosystem, right? I mean, for the live streamers, obviously their desire is very simple. So men just want to make money because she grew up extremely poor. She has to support the entire family. For Big Lee, he wants to, he wants to make money, but he also wants the fame. He wants to step on the red carpet. He wants to be up there because he would just crave for that attention. And before the poor Diaozi loser fans, they, they, they want to live vicariously through their idols yes. because the, these idols came from very similar background as their poor fans. They came from not, nothing. And for these poor uh, loser fans, they, 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 they want to support their idol because they are the ones who can, who can finally, who finally made it, right? They mm-hmm. are their heroes. They want to support their hero to continue to have that life. They, they obviously, they also like Shaman's fans who just, you know, lost after her. He's like, she's my ideal, you know, if I find a girlfriend, I want, to some, want someone to be like Shaman. And there's also this traditional idol worship, like you can, we have observed in the tra- uh, more traditional celebrity mm-hmm. culture, right? But then for the rich patrons, some of the rich patrons, they want to show off. Some of them want to sleep with the, you know, live streamers. And uh, some of them want to make money. So I think technology, even though sometimes we find technology or what it represents hard to understand, but I think deep down, technology is popular because it taps into our desires. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just finds a nice way to try to satisfy it and then in the process make us crave more. Yeah, and also that notion of desire in a way is very um, gendered in the film. As we see um, throughout the film, the female body, for example, is relentlessly sexualized. Shaman apparently um, also uh, was part of that. And so in a way, the film really addresses a lot of issues regarding gender, misogyny, you know, patriarchy. Would you like to comment on that a little bit? Um, it's hard for me to comment on that except to say that that's a reflection of what's happening in Chinese society at the moment. Because that kind of misogyny, that kind of uh, uh, almost like the females touting their physical features to attract male gaze, uh, that happens in the society. And in online just become, in some ways, out in the open. They feel more free to, sit and to do that. And yeah, I mean, in some way, I feel like on, on the country, it can be liberating as well for, mm-hmm. for some men, for people like, okay, if that's the one, I'm going to make money off it. So she, is, I admire some men. I think some men knows what her male patrons, male fans want, and she's using that, trying to take more control of this relationship yeah. and try to make money off it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also admire some men, although um, in a way she um, sells her femininity or other things, but at the same time, toward the end of the film, she really asserts a certain degree of agency by really talking back to that misogynist culture. 
So yeah. in a way, Shaman does have a certain degree of agency, despite the fact that she lives in this patriarchal society. Um, so I think the film brings together these issues in a very nuanced manner. Um, although the film dwells on notions of desire and the changing political economy of that in China, and I realize that some of the images in the film kind of uh, tug in a very subversive aspect of Chinese society. For example, it put Zhongguo um, Meng, right? Um, the Chinese dream. The Chinese dream, which is um, a propaganda campaign initiated by the party state. So a couple of images, you apparently try to allude to that. Um, and, and so in a way, that's making kind of a statement about the gap between what the state tries to propagate and what's actually happening in Chinese society. Yeah, the Chinese dream right now for many people, not for everyone, obviously, is about money, right? This game ultimately is a game of money. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a game about money built on desires. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, in many ways, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I inserted these images there to comment on what China's reality. But I think overall, it's the same across the board. Right. China, what we're witnessing in China is state-controlled hyper-capitalism, right? So China didn't did invent capitalism. Uh, but in China, especially in Chinese internet uh, uh, industry, we're seeing uh, an extreme form of that kind of hyper-capitalism, hyper-technology, yeah. right? Um, so I would say this is the same as here. What, you know, what, how technology platforms are uh, 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 le- using, uh, trying to satisfy our desire to make money for itself. Yes. And every player, uh, we all play a role in this big game. Mm-hmm. And it's also not only China, but also there are a couple of references about global capitalism. I see one image about products that made in China. Apparently, these migrant workers or assembling these products that are being sold here in Santa Barbara, probably. No, so what's being shipped to Syria? To, to, to Syria, yeah, okay. it was so ironic. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's also globally implicated um, in our times. Um, but I also want to um, shift the gears a little bit and ask a question about you as a documentary film director and your positionality, because I think all the films that you've made so far, in a way, deal with China. But um, I was just wondering, did you have a conceived audience when you were putting together the film? Were you targeting a more Western audience? And how does that conceived audience impact the ways in which you put together the film? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I first started making this film, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I was also going through an evolution um, uh, as an artist. I mean, uh, earlier I wanted to really explain China. But then through the editing, through the making of this film, I was like, no, I don't want to explain China. I want to use China to tell a more universal story uh, because what's happening in China is, should, should not be viewed as exotic or foreign. Mm-hmm. It should be viewed as, a con- because we live in a globalized society, even though China is very different from the U.S., but in many aspects, we are similar. So, so even though this film really pushed the, 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 the uh, to show, really focus on the extreme, extreme case of the yes. internet culture in China. But my whole intention is trying to uh, make audience relate to that because we live in that type, type of you know, super-connected society where many of us are feeling actually more isolated than before, right? So I want to make that connection. Uh, so in this film, earlier cuts, I actually had more explanations about the socioeconomic um, background 
in which that this phenomenon happened. But later on, I gradually removed them more and more, other than some, you know, necessary explanation of what a Delsa loser is right. or what a two-hop patron is. Other than that, I actually took out most of the um, specific Chinese references. Yeah. And then just, I want audience, a lot of audience, a, a chance to really emerge and absorb this weird phenomenon and be able to think about how it relates to the kind of everyday life they're going through. Yeah, the fact that the audience really laughed, and I think it's indeed a deeply human story, although the context is China. Um, and you mentioned the word diaosi and tuhao. For those of you who speak Chinese, you probably um, know what these two concepts are. But I thought um, you did a really good job in the film translating um, uh, all <laughs> the so terms. <laughs> and I thought translation plays a very important role as we try to understand another culture which you don't have, have access to that language and, and specifically translate diaosi as diaosi loser. So you, yeah. you keep the Chinese pinging, but added a word loser, and then for Tu Hao, you use generous patrons. Rich patrons. Rich yeah. patrons. And, and uh, like, can you tell us a little bit about translation, the technology of it? And also, uh, on the one hand, you want to make the Western audience feel familiar. On the other hand, you do defamiliarize a little bit by adding Diao Si and all yeah. of that. So I, I wonder about the strategies behind it. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard when we're trying to translate a culture. Like, for example, most of... I. I I bet most of the Chinese audience probably have some more sympathy towards the Big Lee character. You will find him actually being funny. I, uh, I've got feedback in the past that a lot of non-Chinese audience members will find Big Lee horrible, abhorrent, right? repulsive. Right? But then, you know, there's something about the culture that's really hard to translate. For, let's use Diaosi, the term, as an example. Diaosi, you know, the literal meaning is not PG-13. It's actually pretty bad. It's a I mean, bad diaosi, word. Diaosi, yeah. But it's pretty self-deprecating at the but, same time. But the time. original meaning is right. about your private yeah, parts. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so, so, but how do we translate that? I mean, there's, there's so much nuance, so much uh, context, social context that's being packed into a term. Uh, so in the end, I decided not to struggle over it too much because I feel like the the overarching, you know, let's not focus on the detail and distract the viewers. And I think the viewers, I want the viewers to be more focused on the, you know, the, yes. the bigger story, which is connectivity, which is capitalism, which is about money. Yes. And happiness. Yes. Yeah. So in a way, it's really well balanced. On, on the one hand, you do have to instruct the audience a little bit, but then you really move on to the narrative itself. And one part about the narrative is that I think the film deals with class um, as well because there are people from different social academic, um, economic statuses, especially the migrant workers. They become ordinary patrons and then they really follow um, the streamers. And, and so in a way, class figures quite prominently um, when it comes to depiction of the migrant workers um, like that. Um, yeah. And I think... Um, so in a way, in this digital world, people are seeking connectivity, yearning for intimacy and sociality. Mm. At the same time, there's this palpable sense of social isolation, mm. you know, alienation. So in a way, it, it's, it's a very um, humanistic story out there that you put together. Yeah. I think one of the original reasons I was so drawn into this YY com- community ecosystem is that I feel like it perfectly mirrors what's happening in the society, you know, in our current capitalistic class-based society, where uh, we're always looking to 
satiate our desires, right? And, and in some way, why why make um, make the reflect this in an extreme way? For example, the status, right? To show off status. Why yes. why create all these like royal title, duke? Earl, King, as long as you pay money, you get a status, and status follows you everywhere you go online. People applaud you just because you are rich. That's that's just like so blatant, so obnoxious, and at the same time, very honest, right? It's like in this country, we worship rich people, but we don't want to admit it. But in Chinese online, it's like, you know, this is what reality is. People are just so openly worship wealth. Um, I don't say it in a, like, I'm, I don't approve this, but I just find it fascinating that we, because of technology, we can all be so honest with, with, about what we're going after. Mm-hmm. You know? A couple of moments in the film came across to me as a little bit, I don't know, dystopian. And you switch back and forth between the online streaming and then the, this um, cityscape. And um, sometimes the cityscape is very polluted, so there's this overview of this almost national allegory. And sometimes it struck me as a little bit dystopian. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Black Mirror. So when I started <laughs> making this film, I was like, oh, finally, I found, a, I found a story I can make a Black Mirror episode out of. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to spend the last um, 10 minutes or so just... Um, Thinking through the aesthetic of the film, um, the film is really interesting to me in the sense that um, I think it brings together two spaces. On the one hand, there's this spectacular, highly performative space that is online space. At the same time, uh, you know, switch back to a very mundane space of their ordinary lives yeah. Yeah. and seem like you're really shuttling back and forth in, in, in order to um, make the point that sometimes the boundaries between the virtual world and, and the actual world are blurring. So I wonder how you aesthetically bring together these two spaces in such an artful way. Um, so as you probably have noticed, this film uses a lot of 3D animation and also special effects uh, for two reasons. Uh, like I said, I just wanted to make a sci-fi film, right? Even though this is a documentary, that's one reason. Uh, I, I, want, I wanted to challenge myself uh, to find innovative innovative ways to tell a documentary story, a real-life story. That's one reason. Second reason is out of necessity, because I showed a little bit of the actual live streaming screens in the film, a glimpse of that. If you actually look at the screen, even for a native Chinese speaker, it's so hard to follow what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Because if you think this film already tell very comp- portray this ecosystem as being really complex, that's not even half the complexity in the actual screen. So I cannot simply just cut in, intercut mm-hmm. real life footage with the screen recording yes. because it's just so chaotic, you wouldn't know even know what to follow. So I decided so then I have to somehow create an animation treatment of that virtual space. So as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, I can guide your attention to mm-hmm. focus on this element, element or, and then that interaction. So yeah, it took me like about a year and with different tries, um, like 2D animation, 3D animation, and a bunch of different creative treatment to uh, finally arrive at this kind of gamified environment because it is a game even though it's live streaming, but the whole thing is about the game. Yeah, that's part of the experience, the virtual experience. I think it did register with the audience um, very well. Um, 
I guess another question about the, the aesthetic of the film is that because the film is really busy a lot of times yeah. with the virtual space, you know, a real space, but there are a couple or more than a couple of moments of extremely intimate close-up shots of our protagonists, especially Shen Man. Mm. And those moments that are highly intimate are really, really poignant and in a way individualize our characters in a very good way. Um, and so in a way, I thought that's a really good technique to humanize the characters and give a very poignant touch to the story itself. Yeah, I mean, I like to have this emotional swings, right? So I can take you to the craziness of the internet. And then, but then at the end of it, any story is built on characters, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to share with the most intimate, most uh, uh, moving moments of my characters. Yes. So yeah, that's intentional during the post-production. Just like how, how do I achieve that balance? That took a, lo- yes. took, took a long time to find, how can I find the, the, the quietness and the craziness, exactly. how to balance it up. That was yeah. really well rendered. Yeah, I you. guess I'll just ask my last question before I open the floor to the audience. My last question is, Easy one. what's your <laughs> next project? Uh, or what's the project that you're currently working on? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been, I'm in research about a, a couple of documentary projects. But in the meantime, I'm writing a screenplay. Like, uh, I think... Uh, Mayfair mentioned earlier, I had a new film out on Netflix that came out in May called All in My Family. It's based on my own personal story. So right now I'm writing a screenplay to expand that into a narrative feature. I'm also trying to come up with uh, writing a story about doing a real sci-fi remake of People's Republic Desire. What a fabulous discussion that we just generated. Um, And I think... um, our knowledge and understanding of China is often mediated through certain narratives. And I think documentary film as a genre plays a really important role. And I think we're really fortunate to have directors like Wu Hao, who are very self-aware of his positionality as he tells the story to the rest of the world, and also so well-versed in his technicality. And also, what's wonderful about documentary film is that it really brings the community together and generate discussions not only about China, the specific context, but also about a set of very deeply human questions, which we did. And on that note, I'll end today's event. And thank you very much for coming to this event. And let's give Wu Hao another round of applause. Thank you for staying. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.